0: Sermon passage for this morning is from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15. Now, after the Sabbath, toward dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this morning, we ask for you to speak. To us through your word. Lord, this passage is actually quite easy to understand on a linguistic and intellectual level, and yet to truly believe it, to truly accept it as true, is something that's supernatural and divine. And so we pray, Lord, that you would work the supernatural, and the divine in this place. Would well, there are some here who are far from you, who don't know your son, who are cut off from you, and I pray today you would open eyes and give faith. Would well, there are some here today who love you deeply, who know your son, who walk in your grace, and yet it is doubt that plagues. And I pray you would give peace, and hope and understanding. There are some of us here today who are just distracted, busy, numb, disinterested. I pray you would awaken, bring life, and bring great care that your name be exalted in who we are. Lord, we ask for you to work mightily in this gathering. And we do so now in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's great to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so, please take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 28, where Kayla just read for us. Um, So a little funny aside, last week's sermon passage had some Aramaic terms in it, and our reader in the first service did a pretty good job And I said, Well done, we're gonna have a competition to see if the reader in the second service does a better job. Well, the reader in the second service was watching on Facebook and so spent the next hour practicing (laughs) so as to come in and win said competition. I told them they could all have a cup of Austin's magical chocolates. We're in Matthew chapter 28. Friends, we've been laboring and journeying and learning through Matthew for some time. And today we begin the last chapter and our last two weeks in Matthew. Today's sermon passage is the good news at the end of a great book. The book of Matthew was written to compel the readers of it to trust in Christ as Lord and Deliverer and Savior. And this story comes to its head, its fruition in the resurrection. So today's sermon is entitled, Risen. Risen. And this is the point. Jesus, the Son of God, has defeated death. Jesus, the Son of God, who defeated death, has defeated sin. There is life in the name of Jesus. So let's consider this together this morning. Our first point is, come and see. Last week, the story ended like this. I'm in Matthew chapter 27. It was evening. There was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to Joseph, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which... He had cut in the rock and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. So, this is how we ended. Jesus, the one they had followed, the one they had trusted, the one they had believed would deliver them, is dead. He's dead. He's dead because he was given over by the Jewish leaders. He's dead because the Jews shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. He's dead because the Romans had given him over to crucifixion. And he died a public, horrible death filled with suffering. He is in the tomb and the stone stone is rolled in front of the tomb. Now... The purpose of all of that is intended to look like the end of the story. And I'm not saying Matthew's doing Hollywood-style cinematic stuff here. I'm just saying the purpose of crucifixion was to end the life of a criminal. The purpose of burial and big stones in front of tombs was to, to put an end to them being interacted with. Dead, wrapped, prepared, in a tomb, a stone rolled in front. All of this was to convey the end of the story. Now, I think we have to give ourselves a moment and ask, how might we have been thinking, responding, grieving, hurting, if we were Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, Peter, James, John, the other disciples. I mean, on one level, Jesus said, I will go to Jerusalem. I will be crucified. So this is what he said would happen. But in many ways, I think they were left to think, what does this mean? Is this good? Or bad, it has to be bad, right? He's dead. How do we go forward from here? He's dead. And then we come to chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of... Of the first day of the week. So now we're on Sunday. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now we have to recalibrate some math here. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. Right? He said, I'll go and I'll be crucified and on the third day I'll rise from the dead. Um, So Jesus died before the end of Friday, that would be one, Saturday would be two, and now it's Sunday, that would be three. I don't think that's how we would do it in our modern calendar system. Like if you paid for a three-day vacation and that's all you got, I think you're going to be a little upset and be asking for some money back. This was no vacation, and that was a bad analogy. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. On their way to the tomb, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Okay, at this point, like, they just have to be thinking, what in the world? I mean, Jesus died, there was an earthquake. Jesus died, the skies went black. Jesus died, things were torn apart in the temple from top to bottom. And now we come back, and there's another earthquake. And there's an angelic figure rolling the stone out from the front of the tomb. Something's shaking here. Something's moving. Something's changing. His appearance was like lightning. Lightning and his clothing white as snow for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men but the angel said to the women do not be afraid there it is again there it is again that's one of my key bible questions is why do all the angelic fearful figures start out with don't be afraid well of course i'm afraid I just felt an earthquake and saw you move a stone. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said, Come see the place. Where he lay. So the ladies experience the earthquake. They see the stone. They see the angel. They're told that he's not here because he has risen, and they're invited to come and see the inside of the tomb where he Lay. Jesus was not there because Jesus is alive. Jesus was not there because Jesus is alive. Verse 9, as they are leaving the tomb... To go back to the disciples, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus, likewise, joins the cacophony of angels by saying, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The first and most important point for us this morning is these ladies were told to come and see the empty tomb because Jesus is alive. He was dead. He was right there. He's not there because he's not dead any longer. As witnesses to this, we have the guards themselves Verse 11 picks up and says, As the ladies were going, the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had happened. Now let's just pause for a minute. You're a guard, you had one job. What was your one job? To make sure no one took that body. You failed. So why are you fleeing to the city? To cover yourself to control the narrative, to get out in front of the story lest you be crucified and be in the tomb next door by the end of today. They went to the assembled elders and took counsel and the elders paid them a sum of money and told them effectively, here's your story. You fell asleep on the job While you were asleep, they came and stole the body and we'll protect you from the Romans. Ready break. And so that's what they did. The story's been spread among the Jews to this day. So what Matthew's laying out here is one, Jesus is no longer dead. He is alive. The two Marys saw this place. The two Marys saw him And the guards saw the empty tomb and knowing what was unfolding, felt the need to run and beg for help and beg for mercy. And this is what happened. So the first invitation in this story is come and see. Come and see. The Lord wanted the two Marys to see that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. The Lord wanted the two Marys to experience the risen Jesus. Notice that took hold of his feet, worshiped him. There's a a tangibility to this that doesn't convey I had a dream and it doesn't convey I just saw a spirit. There's a, a tangible reality to this. We touched his feet, And we worshiped him. And then there will be more and more and more of these appearances. So, before we think too much more about this, let's just stop right here. Our faith, Christianity, hinges on the resurrection. Jesus is alive, which means Jesus is able to give life. Jesus has defeated death, which means Jesus is able to, by his power, defeat death for his people. Jesus has defeated sin which means he is able to redeem and restore his people. Our faith hinges on a resurrected Jesus. So if this sparks intellectual questions for you, please talk to me. I would love to help you, and I would love to help you navigate that. I'm not going to have 50 sub points here of 50 proofs of the resurrection but they're there. They're there. If you're here considering the faith, consider this. Christ died for sinners and Christ is risen to defeat sin and death. Together, those realities make up the gospel. Wrestle with them. Believe them. Hinge your life and your eternity Upon them second, go and tell. This is our second point, go and tell. So we see really two commands in this passage and in, in verse seven, I'm sorry verse six, the angel said to the two Marys, "Come and see the place where he lay. And then in verse seven, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So the second command of this passage is, hey, you got to see it. But this isn't just for you. Go tell the disciples, and I think the way to interpret disciples here is not the 11, but the whole group of those who were locked in the upper room, scared for their own life, uncertain what to do. Go tell them all that he's risen from the dead. Go tell them all that Friday evening wasn't the end of the story. Go and tell that death and resurrection have both come to town and that Christ is the Lord and that Christ is alive Know that he has defeated death. Go and tell. So verse 8, go tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. He will appear to them there. Jesus speaking to the two Marys, do not be afraid. This is verse 10. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Jesus is very eager that the truth of his resurrection make it to all of those who knew him, followed him, and were grieving his death to know that his death wasn't the end of the story and additionally, we'll see in next week's sermon that the come and see, go and tell commands actually govern what he wants from us as well. Come and see, come and experience the risen Christ. And once you see and once you know and once you believe, then, then, then go and tell. Go and be those that point not to a dead Earthly leader, but a risen, eternal Savior. The go and tell message is to go and spread the hope that is found in the risen Christ. Okay. What are we supposed to do with this, pastor? I have three things for you. Number one, believe that Jesus indeed is alive. Believe that Jesus is alive. And in being alive, he's active. He's working. He's able. Number two. Believe that Jesus has overcome death. Believe that Jesus has overcome the power of death. You guys ready to put on your Bible thinking caps? Let's do Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created this garden, and there was... Adam, and there was his wife Eve, and there was no sin, and everything was exactly as the Lord intended it. And then Adam and Eve were deceived and disobeyed and sinned against God. And when their sin entered the world, what entered the world? Death. So sin brings death. Everybody with me? Sin brings death. So, when we look around and we see death, that reminds us we live in a fallen world. The problem of the world is sin. Every time you get an ad on Facebook because they know your age and they just assume that your body is decaying, that's Adam and Eve's fault. We live in a fallen world. And those of you under 40, you laugh today. You just wait. (laughs) I will say, I've just started clicking on all the ads about before and after pictures of ancient castles. Now they give me ads about trips to Europe. (laughs) I commend it to you. Um. Sin brought death. So if Jesus, which he did, by the way, claimed to forgive sin, if he's going to claim to have the power to forgive sin, then he also has to have the power to do what? Overcome death, right? So we entered this dark night because sin brought death. And we're able to leave this dark night because Jesus has defeated death and Jesus has overcome sin. And he's able to forgive and to redeem and to restore. Jesus has overcome death. Which means he can offer everlasting life. Which means we can take the problem of our sin to him for him to heal, for him to forgive, for him to redeem, and for him to restore. Third, this is going to sound really familiar to number two. Third, Jesus has overcome death. And if he can overcome death, is there anything that he's not able to overcome? So, you got that great uncle Paul who's worth about 45 million. Everybody got Paul? Now, Paul might not be willing to give you 50 bucks to pay your traffic ticket, but you have no doubts that if you asked Paul for 50 bucks, he is able to give you $50, right? Everybody with me? How much more if Christ has defeated death, is he? Able to defeat all things. I don't say this glibly or lightly, but take all your things. Look at them, own them, be honest about them, and then put them before Christ because he is able. I said I had three things, I actually have four. Number four, Jesus keeps his word. Jesus keeps his word. At least four times just in the gospel of Matthew, it's recorded that Jesus said to his disciples, I will go to Jerusalem. I will die. On the third day, I will rise. They didn't believe him. They thought, oh, no, 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 it can't go that way. You're the Messiah. And it went precisely that way. So when Jesus speaks He can be trusted. When Jesus speaks, he will fulfill his word. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He has spoken, he will give. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. He has spoken. And he will answer. We can trust that Christ will keep his word. Okay? Now, as a modern evangelical in a very um, digital world, here's the challenge for you. Did Jesus actually say it? Okay? Like, that's the challenge. Because there's so many Christians spouting off things that God is covenantally bound to accomplish for them that are in poor Richard's almanac written by Benjamin Franklin and not the words of Jesus. So our challenge is, did Christ say it? But if he did, will I believe it? And will I turn it to prayer? And will I ask him to accomplish his word in and through me and in and through us as a church? Jesus died bearing the wrath of sin for his people. And Jesus rose defeating sin and defeating death for all who would come to him. Come and see what Christ has done. Go and tell what Christ has done. For the glory of his name. Our father and our God. We thank you now. That you've spoken these words to us. And as much as what you've spoken to us is true. Excuse me. As much as what's been said this morning is true and faithful to you. Would you cause us to believe it? And would you change us by it? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.